Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, good morning. Um, My name is Trig. It is such a gift to be here. I love Trey. I love your church. And I have the privilege of uh, getting to see some of that vision that Trey was just talking about, about churches that plant churches that plant churches. And I just love the movement that's going on right now in this country as far as church planning is concerned, that people are getting reinvigorated with this heart to go not just create a stage or a platform for their own brand or their own church, but to get out and to share the gospel by setting places, setting beachheads for the kingdoms, for the kingdom in different places uh, on uh, this planet. And it is just unbelievable to be here and be a part of that in some small way. Uh, so like I said, my name is Trig. I just want to show you real quick a picture of my family. Uh, this is me and my wife, Mallory. Uh, that's my uh, daughter, Rayma. She is uh, almost two years old. And then we have a nine-week-old named Noel. She's right there. And this picture is great, but that doesn't really fully encapsulate what my life is really about. So this is what my family normally is like. We can watch it again. So that is my reality. My wife and kids are actually up in uh, Michigan this week and talk about silence. Adam was talking about how we now have some silence and I honestly felt uncomfortable with how silent my house was. But anyway, we're going to hop into the text. And the first thing that I want to say is if God is real and Jesus is God himself, what a privilege it is that we get to sit underneath his words and his teaching that he gave us in his book. And uh, we should take them seriously. Uh, A couple weeks ago, Nick uh, talked about the parable of the sower, and in the parable of the sower, he talked about what it means to plant the seeds of the gospel into the world. And right after that parable comes this parable, and in this parable, Jesus talks about the reality of what it means to live as a Christian in this broken world. And I love how it begins, because if the parable of the sower is Jesus talking about these four different types of soil, in this parable, the camera lens zooms in. And here we just have the good soil. The path, the rocky ground, the thorns, they're out of sight. And now all we see are these beautiful rows of rich brown topsoil. This is the good soil. And the good seed that will be planted here will produce its crop. But that is only half of the story. Because there's an enemy that exists. And he seeks to plant weeds in the midst of that beautiful field. Who here knows the pain of unfulfilled or unmet expectations? I know I do. Uh, I like to golf. I don't consider myself a golfer because of how bad that I am. But every once in a while, I'll get to play this unbelievable course that, uh, that costs a lot of money, but that I splurge on because I really love the game of golf, even though I'm not that good at it. And I remember always driving up to uh, the first tee box and thinking to myself, today is going to be a, just a wonderful day. I can't wait to play golf. And by the 18th hole, I hate my life and I hate the game of golf because I hate how badly that I played. 
And I don't know why I believe that every time that I drive up to these golf courses, I'm going to play well, uh, but, but I just do. And so I have the pain not only of playing poorly, but the pain is doubly bad because I have the expectation that I would play good, and then I don't play good. And we all have these, right? Marriage is another one. Before I got married, you know, like some of us naive people in the room, I thought my wife was going to fix all of my problems. Guess what? Didn't happen, right? And my first year of marriage was actually really rough. And so not only was my first year of marriage rough and painful, but it was painful doubly because I had unfulfilled and inconsistent and incorrect expectations. I expected my marriage to be Perfect. And here's the good news. I still play golf because I have good friends that remind me that I am not, in fact, Tiger Woods. And I also love my wife and have a pretty good marriage, or at least what I would consider a pretty good marriage, because I have people in my life that will love me and speak truth into my reality about the expectations that I should have about those things. And while I'm still not great at golf and I fail my wife frequently, at least my expectations have been corrected. And we all have these. We all have these. Oftentimes, we have incorrect expectations. But the truth is, we can avoid a lot of pain in life if we have those corrected. And today, we talk about those expectations that we have in a life following Jesus. In a lot of ways, this parable on the surface seems a lot more complex than it is, but it's really just Jesus correcting expectations of those that would follow him in this broken world or as Jesus would call it, a beautiful field filled with wheat that is good, but also weeds. And I believe a lot of Christians don't understand what this text really means and what they need to know about this text is what Jesus is communicating here in this passage. And Jesus begins like he does in so many of his parables. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, or other translations say, the kingdom of God is like. And the kingdom of heaven, this is really important as we begin, is any place that God is king. And so with every heart that puts their faith in Christ, the kingdom of God expands. There are no boundaries. There are no borders. So what I want us to know before we jump into this text is that where the kingdom of heaven is, is where this parable is leading us. And so that means that God is not out of control and that he knows exactly what is happening in his field. He is not absent-minded. And the first thing that we need to know and that Jesus tells us about is that there are two different sowers and two different seeds that exist in the world. Look at verse 24. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a person who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the plants sprouted and bore grain, the weeds also appeared. So the slaves of the owner came and said to him, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did all these weeds come from? Jesus is brilliant, and he asked the question in the form of a parable before the people can even ask them. And look at what the question, look at the question of the servants in verse 27. They're already dealing with incorrect or unfulfilled expectations. They think if God owns the field, how could he possibly allow so many weeds in it? And they say this, they say, where did the weeds come from? But Jesus is clear, an enemy did this. In other words, Jesus wants you to know that there are two crops that exist in the world, but there's also two sowers of seeds. And Jesus always plants good seed. Always. And the enemy always 
plants weeds. And I'm here to tell you that you cannot understand this world in the state that it is if you do not believe in a real evil, in a real Satan. The fact that we have a literal enemy that exists in the world. And I love how Pastor Colin Smith puts it. He says, remember, if you do not believe in Satan, Jesus did. And scripture tells us that his entire goal, his entire goal is to destroy God's field simply for the sake of destroying it. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. And I love what John Mark Homer says. He says, Satan is the animating energy behind many of the great atrocities in all of history. And the way that he does this is by sowing weeds in God's good wheat field. And this matters because one of the reasons that so many people don't want to believe in a God or even if God exists that he couldn't possibly be good is that they look at the weeds in the world and they go, how could it possibly be? They're just like the servants. They go, Jesus, where did all these weeds come from? And so the parable goes on. Satan and God, they plant their seeds. And as a result, two crops bloom into the world. First, the wheat. And Jesus says, these are sons of the kingdom. These are people that say, Jesus, yes, you are Lord of my life. God, you can rule over everything that I do and everything that I am. But there's a second crop, and Jesus says this is uh, the weeds. These are the sons of the evil one, those that belong to Satan. And it's almost like uncomfortable, right? Like, like people that belong to the evil one, well, that begs the question, who is this evil one? And I don't know if you know this, but Satan was actually an angelic being. He was an angel that God created to worship and to honor him with everything that he was. But he looked at God, he looked at the glory that God had, and he said, I want that. And he looked at God and he looked at the purposes that God had and he said, I want to make my own purposes. And so he did not submit to God. He falls from heaven. He says, God, I don't want you. I don't want to serve you. I want nothing of you. And so he falls. And then Satan's whole life becomes this quest to lead as many human beings to live lives just like him. Where you put yourself on the throne of your life. Where you reject God and you say, I don't want your rule. I want my own. I want to create good and evil for myself. And can I tell you, I don't know if you believe this. Hopefully I don't have to convince you. But there is real evil in this world. There are real weeds. And I don't know if you look at the world like this. But just listen to it. All the messaging today is about you. Look deep with inside yourself and everything that you feel, just express that into the world. You do you. You make yourself happy. You need to express yourself to the fullest of you. If it feels good, do it. If it makes me more money, chase it. If your marriage no longer suits you, discard it. You are the center of the universe. In that culture, you become king. You become lord of your life. You do you. And I hate that I even have to use this illustration, but I'm going to. Uh, me and my wife have a Google Home in uh, our house, and so we like to turn on lights and whatever. Google probably knows everything about my family. And uh, they already know my daughter's voices and stuff. And so Rayma, our oldest, who's not even two years old, has figured out, oh, mommy and daddy's call to Google, and Google does 
whatever uh, they want uh, Google to do. And so my daughter loves the movie Frozen. Yes, we let her watch Frozen. Uh, and uh, she will oftentimes will walk into the living room and she's yelling at Google. She'll go, Google Elsa, Google Elsa. And she's just waiting for them to play or for Google to play Let It Go. That is her favorite song. She loves that movie. Now, I'm going to keep letting my daughter uh, watch Frozen, but there is something interesting about Let It Go. Everyone knows that song. And yet, at the apex of that song are some of the most mind-boggling verses that point directly to how deeply Satan's perspective of putting ourselves on the throne of our lives has come into this world. Elsa literally says, there is no right, there is no wrong, no rules for me, I am free. And you're like, are you kidding me, Trig? Are you really going to reference Elsa and Satan in the same sentence, right? Well, yeah, I am. Because these are the big cultural movements that are going on, and Disney is an expression of that, right? We are told that there is no right, no wrong. No rules for me. And then in there lies true freedom. But do you know what Jesus says about that? You are either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Jesus. Those are your two options. A life where we decide what is right and wrong is the exact type of life that Satan wants us to live. And in the process, Jesus would say, if you do that, you become a son of the evil one. And it's almost uncomfortable for me to say that this morning. Can I just be honest? Like I read verses 37 and 39 and I go, Jesus, is it really true that there are only two categories of people? Is it really true that there are only people that follow you and sons of Satan? And I go, well, yeah. This is what the text says. And so let me ask you some questions. Where are you this morning? Who is the Lord of your life? Who sits on the throne of your heart? Are you doing you? And how is that going for you? Or do you have a guide? Do you have a greater purpose? Do you have a roadmap of life provided by the author of life? And are you following that? And if you're not there yet, there is hope. The great Saint Augustine once said, those that are wheat today may very, weeds today may very well be wheat tomorrow. You can still turn. The harvest is yet to come. But in the meantime, the second thing that Jesus wants us to know is that evil will grow alongside good. Look at verse 28, the second half. Jesus says this, so the slaves replied, do you want us to go and gather them? Who wouldn't ask that question, right? Well, now that there's weeds in the field, you want us to go gather them, Jesus? And his, his response is stunning. He says, no. No, since the, the beginning of the weeds, since in gathering the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them, let them both grow together until the harvest. The servants go to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, why are there weeds in the field? We don't understand this. He says, an enemy did this. And then they say, naturally, what we would say, you want us to go pluck them up? And he says, no, you must let them grow together. And Jesus is painting this picture that people in an agrarian society would understand a lot better than us city dwellers do. And some of your translations say Darnell here. Darnell is another word for what they translate as weeds. And Darnell was this poisonous 
black seed that was this weedy ryegrass, and it would oftentimes look in its early gestational period like wheat. And so until it actually grew to its uh, mature height, it was not easily distinguishable. And so what farmers would do is they would let these two grow together, but in the process, the, 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 uh, the what are the things that go into the ground? The roots, yeah, <laughs> the roots. Those things that go into the ground and get nutrition. Um, the wheat, the, the, not the weeds, the roots would, would go deep into the ground and they would begin to intertwine with one another. And Jesus is saying, you don't want to pull up the weeds because those would pull up the good wheat as well. And we live in an intertwined world, don't we? We live in an intertwined world. And, and sometimes it can just be so discombobulating, even the last two years, understanding how we can look at the world and there's so much good, and yet there's so much pain and discomfort and destruction at the same time. You know, I did a little bit of research this, way, this week, and this actually is amazing. According to the World Food Bank, uh, in 1981, 42% of the world lived in what they considered absolute poverty. And do you know what that percentage was in 2018? 8.1%. And they predict that less than 5% of the world will live in absolute poverty by 2030. And over the last 50 years, we've added nearly 1,000 calories to a day to the world food supply average. And the world's poorest region, sub-Saharan Africa, has just about as much food access today as Portugal did in the 1960s. That's pretty amazing, right? And as of the last survey in 2017, only two nations out of 173 in the world have food access averages under 2,000 calories a day. That's pretty amazing, right? And that definitely suggests that the world is getting better, right? But as the world economy grows, so does the exploitation of the workers that grow that economy. And so simultaneously, while people are being pulled out of poverty, they're asked by huge corporations to work in awful conditions for awful wages at extremely exhausting hours. And these regions are simultaneously getting more money and yet less dignity. Not to mention COVID, political polarization, injustice, racism. Now we've got a war going on between Ukraine and Russia, and that would surely suggest that the world is getting worse, right? Let me ask you, what are your expectations of the world? What do you expect the world to be like? Is the world getting better, or is it getting worse? Because Jesus would say both. The world is getting better. Churches are being planted. People are getting saved. More wheat is sprouting all over the place. And yet, the enemy is planting seeds of weeds, weedy ryegrass, and it's intertwining with all of the wheat. And we need to have proper expectations as we approach the tea box on a Sunday afternoon and as we approach the altar on our wedding day. But I would say we need to have even more proper expectations as we pursue a life following Christ. Because if we want to live a sustained life in Christ without being discouraged, depressed, or destroyed, we need to know this. And again, this matters because Jesus said that it matters and because Jesus said that it would be this way. And you might be here, 
And, and you might be thinking, it's been so hard to see what has happened in our world over the last two years. You might be here and you might have experienced some trauma in your life that you can't understand why God would allow in your life, why a good God who supposedly allows that in your life would allow that. And can I tell you that those two things do not stand at odds. And some of you might be even bitter today. You might be bitter at God, bitter at the growth of the weeds in this world. But Jesus told us that they would exist. I don't know what else to say other than he told us that this thing exists and some of us just don't want to believe that they do exist. And what is the result of that? If you're a Christ follower, you refuse to grow because you cannot accept the reality of weeds being in the world. If the weeds are in the world, that means that there's weeds in the church as well. Do we know that? And this is not an excuse not to grow. Jesus says, let both grow together until the harvest. And Satan loves this, right? Because if he can't turn you into weeds, if you're a Christ follower, he will at least try to stop you from growing. This field is too weedy. He, he whispers in your ear, you should go over to that other field. And we know this, right? So what do we do? We move from church to church to church. And every single church that we go in is too weedy, it's too broken, and we never put down our roots. We stop growing. And we think to ourselves, well, if only my pastor was a little bit smarter, if only the worship was a little bit better. Trey, you're smart. <laughs> <laughs> if only it wasn't so embarrassing to associate myself with Christians at happy hour. If my spouse loved me better, then I would grow. But I'm here to tell you that Christ told you there would be wheat and there would be weeds. Grow Anyway, and Americans, we are so obsessed with this, right? Especially in our consumer-driven culture. We have spent so much time trying to pull all the weeds out of our life to create the perfect environment for us to grow. But Jesus' words say, grow anyway in the midst of the weeds. I know that there are weeds. Grow anyway. And so this, pa this passage changes both what we expect of others and what God expects of you. He expects you to bear fruit, even though some people may not. He expects you to bear fruit, even though people in your life may not bear as much as you think that they should. And what I'm not saying that is, is that it doesn't matter where you go to church or it doesn't matter who you marry. It does matter. But if you are in a church, if you are in a marriage, if you are in a season of life where God has planted you specifically someplace, stop complaining about the weeds and grow anyway. Because if Satan can't turn us into weeds, he will keep us from growing. But if you know there will be weeds and there will be wheat, you can grow together until the end. You can focus on producing an abundant harvest where you are at. You can live into the fruit of the Spirit, trusting God amidst an angry and bitter world. You can fight injustice and leave the results up to God, not being embittered that it's not all fixed yet. You can grow and pour into your church, knowing that every church, every small group, every person will be a mixed bag of brokenness and purity. And you can grow in your marriage instead of constantly criticizing your spouse as the reason you can't grow. And God will allow both believers and unbelievers to live in this world as well. 
But there is a day of judgment coming. And this is what Jesus wants us to know thirdly. There's a harvest. And this is such good news, guys. There is a harvest coming. Look at the second half of verse 30. At harvest time, I will tell the reapers, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned, but then gather the wheat into my barn. The first question we should be asking ourselves is, what the heck does that mean? Well, Jesus answers it, right? In verse 41 through 43, he says this, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin as well as lawbreakers. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The one who has ears had better listen. You know, we can talk a whole lot about Jesus on Sunday mornings and not preach the gospel. My brother, who's a pastor in Chicago, loves to say, some people think, a lot of people think, even a lot of Christians think, that the gospel is God is nice, be nice. Isn't that nice? <laughs> God is nice, be nice. Isn't that nice? Well, as discombobulating or discomforting as it is for me to tell you this, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Here's the bad news and the truth. Satan exists. The devil is real. And as a result, sin is real. As a result, death, decay, and chaos in this world are real. Hopefully no one has to convince you of that. And whether you like it or not, we have been influenced in some way by this sin in the world. And so we have chosen at periods in our life to go our own way, to become like Satan, to become the Lord of our own lives. We've chosen to sin against him. We've chosen evil. And so, as a result... God's word says the wages of that sin is death. And so we need a savior. We cannot save ourselves. But scripture promises that Jesus came to destroy, literally destroy the devil's work, to set humanity free from the bondage to sin. And that's why Jesus comes to earth. He moves into the neighborhood. He puts on flesh and bone. Right? He battles with Satan at the beginning of, I think, Matthew's gospel in the desert. And how does he defeat Satan? By speaking the truth of God's word. And then he goes out into the world, the very world that he came to save after he created it. And it fell into sin. And he begins to heal every disease, sickness, and sin that everybody has. And then he goes and he starts to speak the truth to Satan's lies in the world. But this isn't the only way that Jesus defeats the enemy because he comes and he puts himself to death on the cross for you and for me. And listen to how Paul describes what happens next in Colossians 2. He says, you are dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. And then listen to this. This is just amazing. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, that's Satan and his minions, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. This is such good 
news. Jesus doesn't just take our sin and pay for it, but he takes Satan and he defeats them. And don't you love how Paul describes it? Not only does he defeat him, Jesus will never shame you, but he will shame Satan. And he does it publicly. Why? Because for Satan to rule the world is to go up. But for Jesus, it was to go down. For Satan, abundant life is in wealth. For Jesus, it was poverty. For Satan, the world exists for you. For Jesus, I exist for the world. Satan, your life is for me. Jesus, my life is for you. And so while Jesus hung on that Roman cross, Satan thought he won, but he did not know that there was a resurrection coming and Jesus punched death in the face and he defeated it for you and for me and he did it the opposite way that Satan thought he would do it. It was the ultimate bait and switch. And so you may be here and you may not even follow Jesus. Can I tell you, because of what he did, we are living in the age of God's grace. We are living in the age of God's grace. If you have breath in your lungs and you walked in here this morning, that is because of God's grace. But there is a harvest coming and that will bring two drastically different results for two drastically different peoples. Those that have bowed the knee to Jesus and those that have climbed on up the throne of their own life just like Satan. And to that, Jesus says on the day of judgment, Take the weeds, tie them into bundles to be burned. Bundle up the wheat, bring them into my barn. Hell or eternal life with the God who created you, who knows everything about you, including every hair on your head, who died for you, who rose for you. And this isn't fire and brimstone. These are the words of Jesus himself. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian... You need to know that Jesus talks about hell more than anyone in Scripture. It's a place of suffering. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, according to Jesus in this passage. And if you're living a life of sin, God is patient, he is kind, but Jesus is warning you in this passage, do not misinterpret God's patience. There is a day of harvest coming, and Paul actually says this. He says, don't you know that God's patience is meant to lead you to repentance. There is a gift that you can have in your life today if you're not following Jesus, and that is repentance. That is saying, I do not follow you, Satan. I follow you, Jesus, and I'm going to turn my life. Who will you be bundled with today? And if you're a Christian, can I encourage you that on that day of judgment, it will be so much better than you could even possibly imagine. The most beautiful sunset on this planet is only a fraction of what you will experience in eternity with Jesus. In fact, he says, the righteous will shine in verse 43, like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Evil will be eradicated forever. Every injustice will be set straight. Every tear will be wiped away. Every sickness will be gone. Jesus will restore all all things, but for now, there's some things that we got to do as Christ followers. First, sow seeds. Put the seeds 
of the gospel everywhere you go, knowing that most will not bloom, but some will. And find hope in that. That's what Jesus says. Second, you've probably heard this before, bloom where you're planted. Wherever God has planted you, stop complaining about the condition of the field and start growing anyway. Stay engaged. Christian's job is not to circle the wagons until the big, bad, evil world goes away. We are to engage with it. We are to be on the front lines. We are to go on the offensive. There is no such thing as an ideal spot to be a Christian. Grow anyway. And lastly, become a realist. Read scripture. <laughs> See what Jesus says. If you're an optimist or you're a pessimist, you're essentially saying, I bring an agenda to the reality that I see in the world. Don't do that. Become a realist. Because becoming a realist means that you're sober about your today, but you have hope for tomorrow. And our hope is not just that Jesus died for us. Our hope is not just that he resurrected for us, but that this life is just a blip. It's just a blip on the radar of our lives. It's just a vapor, scripture says. And then there is an eternity coming where we will rule with Jesus in heaven. That is our, that is our option. We have that choice today. Jesus will come to reap the harvest. But until then, evil will grow alongside good until the return of Christ. That's just the way it is. Satan wants to destroy your life. Jesus desires today to save it. Pick Jesus. He will give you life like you never imagined. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we worship you. We confess that at times in our life we make mistakes. We confess that at times we follow our own ways. We choose to decide what is good and evil for our own good and not for your glory. And as a result, we become like the enemy. But you were so good that you came to disarm the rulers and authorities like Satan and his demons. You didn't just come to defeat death, but you came to defeat him who comes to plant weeds in this world. So I pray, Lord, if we're flipping through the channels on the TV and we see the news and we're tempted to believe that you are out of control because of all the atrocities that are going on in the world, that we would think of this passage, that we would be reminded that you said that there would be weeds, but that we would find hope in the fact that there is a harvest coming and that we can find joy in knowing that every wrong will be set right. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room that has not turned over the keys to their life to you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would move by your spirit, that they would come to know you right now, Jesus, that they would repent, that they would confess, and that they would know that there is freedom in the name of Jesus, that they don't have to be Lord of their own life for them to find joy, but they can find joy in you and what you have done, and in what you are calling them to be. Do this, Jesus, in your mighty name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.